Hi everybody, you are listening to The Rope Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk. We strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode zero on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We're rope partners who've been practicing together for six years. We live in Bangkok and love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. Today's episode is sponsored by you, our dear listeners. Thank you so much to our patrons who make this podcast possible by supporting some of the costs. If you'd like to help us make more Rope Podcast episodes, please go to ropepodcast.com and visit our Patreon. So Maya, today we're going to talk about communications. I know that's meta. Communications in rope. So what do we mean by that? Um, well, I imagine that uh, rope is going to involve more than one person interacting. Yeah, okay. Usually, unless someone is self-tying, which absolutely is valid and we love them, but they might find today's episode a bit less applicable to them. Yeah, unless they're communicating with their spotter, maybe. Okay, great point. It's We strongly recommend if you're going to do things like self-suspension to have someone else present for safety. So there's some communication there as well. So usually you're going to have two people to communicate, sometimes more. Um, so some level of coordination needs to be required for something to happen in rope. Such as what needs to be prepared for the scene. Okay, yeah. Uh, where the person in rope needs to be. Like if there's a hard point, you might want to tell the person, okay, you need to be like here under the hard point so I can actually put my upline up, right? Yeah, what else? Uh, what kind of position we want their body to be in? Yeah, and also what's important in terms of safety, what's okay for each person. Um, there's a lot really um, of coordination and discussion that you might need to communicate in rope. And you might also have some events that occur that you might need to react to. So what might you have there? We could have a rope moving during the scene in a way that it shouldn't, getting in a bad place. Okay, so the person uh, or the, the rigger or the person in rope might notice part of the tie uh, falling apart or moving mm -hmm. or being uh, like moving to the neck, for example. Yeah, a typical example would be a shoulder strap that slips and gets too close to the neck and yeah. starts choking the person in rope. What else? Uh, we could have someone just not feeling good during the scene, and that could be the top or that could be the bottom. Yeah, so they want to stop or they want to pause or they want to talk about things. And then we could have some symptoms that leads us to think that an injury might be about to occur or is in the process of occurring. Very much so. So bottoms are almost always on the lookout for possible nerve symptoms. And we're all very wary of that, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and you might well want to stop the scene or, or change your tie. Something that also happened to us, Maya, is some kind of external factor requires stopping or changing the scene. Yeah, so we had a bit of a surprise event when we were tying one time. You want to talk about that? Yeah, basically we were in the middle of a fairly complicated scene. I think you were upside a down. Lot of rope. Yeah. <laughs> you were in a fully inverted full suspension from two gravity boots, I think. Uh, yeah, and we were doing a mummy tie, weren't we? So yeah. we had a lot you of rope. You had a lot of rope wrapped yeah. all around your legs. And I was 
up to about maybe half of your stomach, something like that. And then one of the organizers comes into the room and says, okay, everyone needs to be out of here in 10 minutes. Yeah, we were some surprised. Yeah, so that would be a good example of a more emergent situation you need to communicate about during the yeah, rope scene. because the person was talking in a, a different language that I didn't know, so you then had to communicate to that to me in a language that I did speak. Yes, and we had to rush, and you participated in your own untying, and we barely made it out in time. We did, but we made it. So in order for all of these different situations, and there's plenty more where you might need to communicate, um, you're going to have to use um, one or, or sometimes several means of communication. So what kind of ways can we communicate in rope and before rope? The most obvious one, Maya, is going to be talking. Yeah, so verbal uh, communication. Mm-hmm. In some cases, we're also going to communicate by text. People these days like to use a variety of instant messaging platforms. Uh, here in Asia, there is one that's very popular called Line. In yeah. other places in the world, people use WhatsApp. People also use uh, direct messaging on platforms like Facebook and Instagram quite yeah. a bit. Telegram. Yeah, I guess it tells something about what generation you are knowing which app yeah you if you're to. listening to this in the future and it's something completely different then um yeah, sorry about that whatever yeah. your messaging app may be and text Send these days <laughs> text these days includes um uh stickers yeah. um as well which is quite interesting and emoticons yeah and i also happen recently um uh, on a list of codes you can use at the end of your sentences to convey a certain sentiment like slash sa for sarcastic or something because it's true that text communication doesn't have a lot of emotional context and yeah, it's really easy to misinterpret you, someone's intentions that's why you have uh, emoticons but i guess there's no sarcastic emoticon yeah uh, i i thought that system uh, maybe we can find it and link it somewhere in the show notes uh at the advantage of being more explicit and less open to interpretation because when you get an emoticon of an eggplant. Sometimes it's not really an eggplant, is it? Um, but the other person needs to understand your code as well. Yeah, say. yeah. you would need both persons to have like that table that gives the meaning. Because if the I saw a slash SA, I'd think it meant South Africa. Also that. So, All right. So you can also... Pre-established um, references are important. Okay. You can also communicate by touch, by moving each other's bodies. Uh, yeah, and that's often very present uh, in rope if you are let's say the top and you want to turn your model to the side you can ask them would you turn to, to the side for me but very often if that's the kind of relationship you have with the person you're going to use your hands and possibly your body to move them into the position you want yeah and you can also show and look Okay, so what do you have as an example of what showing and looking is in communication? Um, so you might be um, observing micro-expressions of the partner, so you're, you're really trying to understand what the other person is expressing to you. And so what's a micro-expression, Maya? Um, it's a brief um, expression that flickers over the face uh, that gives an indication of a person's emotional state. Okay, so keeping in tune with that during the scene can give us all kinds of useful information then. Yeah, and we'll talk about the pros and cons of that later. Um, mm -hmm. And you can also share pictures or other visual aids. Okay, so that's probably a bit better for communications before or 
after the scene, less so in the middle of it, maybe. Exactly. Like holding up your phone and say, but look, I want you to do that. Yeah, yeah. It might be harder if your hands are behind your back. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time. And to do that, we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us. And you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too. So when we're communicating before a scene, what are we trying to do? Okay, many different goals. Uh, we need to establish intent of the scene. And that's going to be something like discussing, are we doing a sensual tie? Are we doing a sexual scene? Are we doing a sadomasochistic? Is that how we say it? Sadomasochistic. Scene. Uh, are we doing a photo shoot? And are we just going to take a photo? And that's the goal of today. So that's what we would call the intent. And it's a really good idea for everyone involved to know what the intent is and ideally to agree that that's what they want to do today. Yeah, because certainly if one person wants to do a sadomasochistic scene and the other person is expecting a, a floaty sensual scene, then you're going to have um, some at least one sad person at the end of the scene. I believe so. Too. So that's like one major reason already why communication is critical in rope. And immediately another one is consent. And we talk about consent quite a lot on this podcast because it's really central well, to all BDSM and also very much to rope bondage. Uh, so we have episode zero that talks about it. And we also have uh, episode 28, how to negotiate your first bondage scene that are relevant. Yeah. And so people, we're not going to talk so much about consent today because we have lots of uh, episodes on it. But you can go back to those yes. to, to listen to how you might do that. Absolutely. Then we usually want to discuss the practicalities of a rope bondage scene. So okay. what might that include, Maya? Uh, so that could be the clothes that you're going to wear, where the scene will take place. Um, so if you're in a dungeon or, or someone else's house, do you need to book mm -hmm. a specific um, piece of equipment? And in some case, there might be some negotiation with other players, like there's only one suspension frame at our local dungeon, for instance. So if we know that such and such other rigor is going to be there for that party, we might approach them the week before and say, do you think you're going to use it like more towards the start of the night, more towards the end of the night, and then try to work out a plan so everyone gets a shot at it? Yeah, so making sure that you um, know what you're doing around your equipment. Uh, and maybe what gear needs to be bought by who? Okay, because in some cases, like, let's say you want chocolates for your aftercare. Is the top going to bring the chocolates? Is the bottom going to bring the chocolates? Are we both going to bring the chocolates? Chocolate and then we're going to have double the chocolate. Exactly. Which, um, in my opinion, is the best way to go about it. <laughs> okay. Um, 
In the case of rope switches, so people who both tie and get tied involved in the scene, who's going to be doing the tying? Yeah, who is going to be the person in rope? Who's going to be the person outside the rope? And that can change mid-scene, but that's also something you might want to discuss. Definitely want to negotiate that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, if there are other activities uh, included in the scene, like if there's going to be let's say, needle play with the rope, then there's some preparation that needs to happen. So that's a kind of thing that needs to be communicated. Yeah, or sexy times. Okay, sexy times also can require some preparation. If there's like uh, lube involved, if there's condoms, uh, in some places you need to set um, protections on the floor if you're going to have sex in your scene. So that's the kind of thing you want to think about uh, beforehand. Okay. What else, Maya? Uh, rapport. So you might want to build some rapport if you don't really know the person that you're going to play with so well yet. So building some connection before the scene uh, can be very helpful to making the scene go smoothly. Yes. And obviously this is particularly relevant if you're doing what's called pickup play. So if you're meeting someone and possibly playing with them that first time, taking some time to get to know them a bit and not like jumping into the rope knowing zero about the other person might be beneficial to everyone's experience. Yeah, I remember our first scene and sitting with you and telling you a bit about what I did and just having a bit of a conversation before we started tying. Yeah, which was definitely for the best. We can also use our communication before the rope to build up anticipation. Mm. And that can be rolled into the negotiation and the preparation, but have a more flirty or teasing angle, if that's appropriate. Here's where your aubergine sticker might be useful. Oh, that's when you use the eggplant sticker. (laughs) I've been wondering all these years what it was used for. And uh, there always seems to be like a water splash next to the uh, eggplant. It's a bit of a mystery to me, but I'll work it out someday. Um, there's also a meta piece, you know, we love this stuff, listeners, um, of how you're going to communicate during the rope. So are you saying we're going to communicate about how we're going to communicate? I absolutely am. Whoa. Yeah. So, um, one of the questions that, uh, I think is useful is, is one of you, and it tends to be the bottom, although I'm sure it could be the top as well, going to be non-verbal during the rope, in mm. which case you need to have some other ways of communicating. So Maya, remembering that we said the types of communication were talking, text, touch and moving each other, showing and looking, or sharing pictures or visual aids. Which one do we tend to use more for the before the scene communication? Um, we like text for okay. this, particularly because it leaves a trace. It's mm-hmm. easy to read back if you're unsure. So we often would uh, read back our negotiation before a scene to make sure that we understand mm. what's okay, what's not So we not might okay. negotiate, say, one week before the party. And mm. then the day of an hour before we start, we scroll back into the chat and that helps us refresh our memories of like what people's limits are, yeah. what gear we need to bring to the location and so on, right? Yeah. Um, and that is a good point. It depends a bit on how far ahead in time the scene is. If you're, as you're saying, doing pickup play, mm-hmm. um, then probably you're not going to text where you're sitting next to the person. That would be orcs. Yeah, okay. I mean, in some cases, uh, it could happen for people who have like social anxiety or stuff like that, who want to be like next to each other on their phones chatting and there's nothing wrong with that. But in the majority of cases... People are going to be verbal. Yeah, I think I think that's the expectation. Um, it also depends on how well you know the person. So for us, our communication about a scene 
might not be very much anymore. We're in a long-term DSMS relationship and that means that we don't need to communicate in the same way that mm. we would if we were doing pickup play with someone that we don't know. Yeah, we've done like I would say around a thousand rope bondage scenes together wow. by now, which okay, like, in and of itself is a thing. And so obviously the thousandth time you have less new information to give them the first time. Yeah, yeah. But you always check in about how my body feels, for example, at some point before the scene, even if it's a couple of hours before when we're doing something else. Yeah, and uh, I also appreciate when you offer me proactively some information before the scene of, oh, today I'm feeling like this, I'm feeling like that. And talking of offering information, uh, some people, and, and we are examples of this, have a rope user manual. And that can be super useful to make sure that if you have some information you offer everybody, like for me, for example, I have a neck issue around turning my head, then that's always there and mm. you can always offer that information consistently. And Maya, if our dear listeners want to make a rope user manual, is there maybe a podcast oh, episode yes. you can listen there to? there is. It's episode 105, How to Create a Rope User Manual. Very nice. So Maya, now that we've covered things that happened before the rope, uh, the rubber is going to hit the road, so to speak, and we're going to go into the scene itself. Is there communication happening there as well? There very much is, um, but it's quite a different context for this kind of communication. How so? Well, you have quite the time pressure, so sometimes things are going to be need to be addressed quite quickly. Okay, so what is creating this time pressure? Um, danger. Okay, danger. we're doing something risky. Yeah, we're doing something risky. Might have um, injury implications mm -hmm. um, or even just discomfort. Um, sometimes. Someone might be hanging from their big toe and they're like kind of in a rush for you to get the thing done. Yeah, I can say uh, sometimes the pressure of a rope on my shin or a particularly mm -hmm. unpleasant place on the body might mean I'm quite keen to communicate um, even though there might not be a particular danger. So we're going to be a bit less chill in our communications during the role because of this sense of urgency. Less chill. And also for many people, they're going to be in some kind of altered headspace. Okay, what's that? Um, so that means we might not be at 100% of our cognitive abilities or we might just be in a different um, headspace. So for bottoms, that tends to be... Um, what's called rope space, subspace, you can call it So your being own like name. floaty, melty, yeah, yeah. spacey. Spacey, so spacey. Mm. And for tops, um, flow state, we think um, is a thing. So you, when you're very into what you're doing. Yeah, and so your attention can be very focused on one thing. Like you might not have that broad span of attention that you would normally, so you might not catch everything around you. Oh, so tunnel vision. Yeah. Let's perfect. say I'm tying the chest and I'm not paying attention to the fact that the photo is slipping. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Uh, performance anxiety can be a thing for bottoms and for tops. Yeah. Uh, whether it's at a public event or even in private, we might worry about how we're looking, are we doing a good job? And also shyness. Uh, sometimes you might want or need even to express something, but you can find it difficult to speak up. Yeah, especially when shyness is combined with uh, being a, a spacey bottom. I think it can be mm -hmm. very hard. Or shyness combined with performance anxiety and being in public with a lot of people watching. It can really transform the dynamic of the communication in the rope. So given all that, um, how might we communicate in rope when we've got all of that going on? I think knowing oneself and knowing our partner and 
we can then adapt to our styles. Like if we know that speaking up is going to be difficult, we can, for instance, base our communication on more nonverbal modes. Yeah, and this is super different between individuals. And we've really found that as we've had episodes of the podcast. So we talked um, at least one time about the fact that we don't tend to talk very much during mm-hmm. our scenes, um, apart from maybe a, a, a smattering of sexy talk sometimes. Yeah, uh, whereas some people like talking throughout the whole scene. Yeah. And for them, it doesn't ruin the mood in any way. It's just more their style. Yeah, exactly. People have given us strong feedback that that's... Um, part of what they do and we're very chill about that it's just different between different people and if one of you is a talker and one of you isn't obviously it's better that you know that in advance because again Mm. that can cause challenges one thing that can help if you want to communicate in altered headspaces or under pressure is developing a shared vocabulary oh tell me more about that Uh, well if you look at things like say scuba diving or even like astronauts they have a lot of codes and shortcuts for communication because they need to get an information across in a short time span while reducing the risk of miscommunication and so they actually train in special ways to communicate like let's say for instance if someone needs to ask you how much air you've got left in your tank in scuba, there's a way to do that and a way to respond. And that's very codified. Okay. So you and your rope partners can create your own codes. And that's kind of cool. So what might that look like for tying people? It's basically establishing a common vocabulary that might mean nothing to someone outside the rope partnership. Like saying that Futo is doing the strawberry again. At face value, that doesn't mean anything, except if you've been labbing with that person for six months and you've had that happen before and you decided to call it the strawberry, then the both of you know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Uh, And that's actually really what safe words are. Uh, Yeah, okay. A safe word is a pre-established code word that means something. You can also create other code words that are different from safe words. Usually the safe words mean like the typical system would be one person as, say, a yellow safe word, which would be typically let's slow down or let's change the activity but not stop the whole scene. And a red safe word, which would be emergency, we stop everything. But you can create as many um, code words as you want. You could have a code word that means, for instance, I feel like I need to come down in about five minutes. And okay. that can be a useful one to have. And... It can be any word you want. Uh, One thing I've also used in the past with a fair amount of success is a code word to communicate the fact that the person feels like adding a more sexual layer to the scene. So I would, for instance, tie with someone who was unsure at the time if they were going to feel sexy or not. Like, Let's say we're tying at a party and the person feels like, "Hmm, depending on who's there, who's watching, maybe I'll feel sexy and maybe I won't. Then we would pre-negotiate what the sexy times activities that are okay would be. And we would agree on a code word. Uh, I used to use Atlantis for that. And so if the person was feeling sexy at some point in the scene, they would say Atlantis and it would mean, okay, now sexy things are on the table. So it's like sort of unlocking a particular new set of activities depending on how one person feels. Yeah, and obviously it's completely predicated on the fact that all that was agreed upon in advance. Like if in the middle of a scene with a new person, I suddenly say Atlantis, they're like, what the the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) You have to agree on what it means. 
Yeah. That's um, the whole point. And there's one other aspect that we haven't talked about, which is um, are you speaking in your original language? Um, okay. Are you speaking a second or third or fourth language? Mm. In which case, you might need to um, check in things like um, safe words. So yes. we know that we've often had people... Uh, who we're tying with in a second or third language where they have a safe word in a different language than mm-hmm. than we know. And you're obviously operating in English right now, which is yeah. not your first language. It is not. Um, and in that case, you might need to really practice that safe word quite a few times or have it written down somewhere because it can be difficult to remember that. Mm. All right. Then besides talking, one thing that can be really quick and efficient in rope bondage is pointing at stuff and doing hand signs. Yeah. So assuming as a bottom you have your hands free or a hand free or mm-hmm. maybe a foot free. Some, yeah. some ca- even your nose uh, yeah, you in can certain point positions. Show, show me what that looks like. I was like. in a go away yesterday. Maybe I could have pointed to my knee. Oh, okay. Yeah, pointing to your knee with your nose is yeah. very cute. Um, but generally, pointing and showing is something a lot of people do mm. very naturally. It's very fast um, and it's less disruptive than talking. Yeah, it's a lot faster than saying, mm, the place where the second wrap of the gravity boot is nearest to my ankle bone on the inside of my left foot. Like, yeah. Just point at the damn place where it hurts. If you've got your hands free. If you've got a way of pointing. Okay, uh, that's very nice. Then... I would say further in that direction of using your body, there's also simply touching and moving. And that can be just, let's say you're a bottom, you have your hand free, you grab the hand of the rigger and you place it where the thing needs to happen. Yeah. If that's something that's okay for both parties involved. Or a double squeeze. Sometimes that's a way of tapping out. Yeah, we use the squeeze signals quite a bit. So let's, for instance, say two squeezes means you're okay. If I offer you my hand and you don't squeeze it or you can't squeeze it, it means you're not okay or you've passed out. <laughs> you're not squeezing anything yeah, anymore. Yeah, okay. Good Good point. Good point. <laughs> yeah, it's always uh, probably better to use what I would call a positive signal because obviously if the agreement is if I give you my hand and you don't squeeze it, it means you're okay. Well, what if the person is like poorly and can't squeeze it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. But the quality of touch matters here, right? I would say so. And you want to go with the mood of the scene you're going for. So think of a touch signal or a way of touching that's not going to disrupt the vibe you want in your scene. Then lastly, Maya, we have, are we going to be using our eyes during this scene? How are we going to use our gaze and our attention? So what can you tell us about okay, that? Okay, so this isn't just fluttering your eyelashes. I mean, I have pretty good eyelashes, I think, but I think it goes beyond that. Okay, so um, I think there's a couple of things to note here. If the bottom has their eyes closed or they wear a blindfold, this is going to be harder. And if the top is maybe a newer top and needs to spend a lot of time looking at the rope, Mm -hmm. then that also might be a a blocker to this particular one. But assuming those two things um, are not the case, you can watch the face and the the body of the other person Mm -hmm. um, for how they're feeling, what their micro expressions are. So the bottom might look at the top to get a feel for what's coming next or what's happening in the scene or whether the tying is going well for the rigger. Mm. And the top might look at the bottom to see, again, how they're reacting to the rope, um, whether they're in any stress or distress, um, knowing what the 
the good face of the partner is here is quite important. Okay, so for instance, Maya, if we're tying together and let's say for the sake of the argument, you remember to put your contacts in so you can actually see <laughs> me during the row. Uh, how do you know if I'm having a good time or if I'm in distress? Yeah, so you look quite intense. Um, and so I wouldn't take that as a negative if you're not smiling because I know you're having a good time hmm. um, if your face is quite focused and you Serious might even face. be a bit frowny. Yeah, okay. but that's okay. Okay. And obviously, if you're looking at what's happening, you can know, for instance, like, oh, a certain transition is about to happen so I can prepare my body and get ready for that. Like, you can have a better idea of where we are in the flow of the scene. Yeah, and you know that if I'm like gazing into the distance, I'm probably very spacey. If I'm not really paying attention at all, I'm probably having a very good time. Hmm. All right, so that gives us a whole arsenal of communication tools we can use so during our bondage. What about after? Uh, I think the after is actually quite important. It can give a nice closure to our scene and it's also going to lay the groundwork for our next scene. Oh, interesting. So what do we talk about after the scene? Uh, we tend to talk about how the scene went, what we liked most and least about it. And in the moment, we might just be going over some highlights. Mm. And that can be a great way to relive things together and also something to do in aftercare and as a bonding activity. Okay. Uh, I think for a lot of people, doing in-depth debriefing and analysis immediately after the rope is not going to be the best. You've had to learn that. That's been uh, a, a tough, tough experience. Uh, because when you're in aftercare, you're all floaty, you have all the hormones and chemicals going on. And uh, yeah, that's maybe not the best to be deeply analytical at that time. So cutting it up in two parts, you can talk about what happened, but more in broad terms of, oh, that was so sexy, that was so nice, that was so this, that was so that. And then keep the deep analytical thoughts for later, uh, maybe later in the same day or maybe the next day. So splitting it up like that, we have found for us works better. Uh, then one thing I actually quite like to ask people later after a scene is how well the scene matched with the negotiation. Okay, and what, what's happening there when you're doing that? Um, well, I want to check that my understanding and the way we applied the boundaries, the limits was good, uh, that nothing happened that was a bad surprise and so on. And obviously, let's say someone phrased uh, a certain limit uh, and then I didn't quite understand what they meant. We can correct that for next time. Yeah, yeah. Like they said, not touch, don't touch my head. And then at one point I touched their hair and they're like, well, my hair is on my head. Oh, okay, I thought you meant your actual like skull. Yeah, yeah. So like clearing up any little misunderstandings means that over time we're going to get to know each other better and our scenes are going to get better. Okay, so remedial actions. And we actually have an episode 81 on what to do if you fail in rope. Okay. Um, which kind of covers that as an issue. Like if something happened so you didn't expect and mm -hmm. it didn't go well, how might you address that? Uh, yeah, and speaking of remedial action, that might include important things like apologizing if you did yeah, something true. wrong. Like, oh, sorry, I touched your hair. I, I didn't realize that's something you were not comfortable with. 
uh, and maybe like you took a photo and then you remember, oh, actually, I wasn't supposed to take photos. Well, you delete the photos and you show the person that you're deleting the photo. Like that's what we mean by remedial action, fixing the thing that went wrong, yeah. if you can. Or we've also had the unpleasant surprise of one of us um, noticing that someone else has taken a photo. Yeah, and then we have to chase them and tackle them down <laughs> and like crush their camera. We have to talk to the party organizers yeah. usually and get the photos deleted. Chasing it in some way. Uh, okay, and then the very important part of after the rope communication is talking about how everyone is doing. Yeah, so do they need more aftercare? Mm-hmm. Um, is there a wound? So sometimes we have uh, blisters, or you've had a carpet burn. A I've had a very grievous carpet burn that <laughs> took me years to heal. So that might need some uh, treatment. And also, most commonly, drink or food. So water Mm. is very common after all. Yeah, what does everyone need in this moment? And what can we get them? And so on. And then trying to gauge whether or not we're ready to go back to the real world Mm. after the rope. All right, so how do we do this after-the-scene communication, Maya? For most people in the short term, so immediately after the scene, it's probably talking, uh, maybe touch, um, looking into each other's eyes, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can be more about connection and rapport than getting useful feedback. So more, oh, that was really sexy, that was really hot, rather than, um, okay, so there was some clockwise tension in my lumbar spine and it was really nice, it felt really good. Mm, yeah, so we keep it simple for the verbal communication in the short term after the scene. Mm. And then in the longer term, so that could be later that day, it could be at the end of the night, it could be the next morning, then we tend to use text to follow up. We do. I mean, I mean, people really vary. Obviously, if you live with the person, you might um, talk to them verbally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we tend to use text. Um, it gives a sort of distance, an ability to think about what you're going to um, share with the other person. Okay, interesting. For some people, it might be easier to formulate feedback on text than with the person facing them. Definitely for me as an introvert. And actually, in my profession, when I suggest people ask for feedback i always say ask for it over email or text because um it panics people less oh that's a really good idea maya uh keeping this connection active for a little bit over text is also a good way to do what we might call drop watch so Mm. checking if the person is dropping and supporting them if they are yeah um and we have episode 19 on drop this is an interesting episode because it's really connecting to a lot of our other episodes Mm, definitely Uh, And then one thing we also like to do with uh, rope partners after the fact over text is to uh, take time to give each other what we call cookies. So a genuine compliment, a genuine appreciation about something we really enjoyed about our time together. Yeah, and interestingly these days, um, it's my experience that the bottom gets more cookies than the top. So bottoms, um, this is just a reminder to give your top some cookies as well. Hmm. I mean, both sides need the other. Agreed. It's not very fun to be a top without a bottom. It's also not fun (laughs) to be a bottom without a top. Yeah, assuming you're not self-tying. Assuming you're not self-tying. And if you are self-tying, then we also have episodes that are more relevant to you. But maybe this one is not the one. Right, so today we've seen that there is a lot of communication so happening much communication. around and during role play. And actually, good communication, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it might be more important to successful rope bondage than your skills at tying a knot. Oh, interesting. 
so I hope our listeners found this useful and we walk through together when and how to communicate. And I hope you got some ideas that you can apply to your rope bondage practice. If there are uh, other tips and tricks you like to use around communication uh, around your rope, it would be awesome if you came over and uh, told us so in a comment on FetLife or Instagram. So that will be all from us today at The Rope Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from and come friend us on our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Also follow us on Instagram and our name there is Rope Podcast as well. If you have a question related to rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FetLife or Instagram. If you like this podcast and you would enjoy more episodes, you can find all the ways to support us on our website, ropepodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly on our Patreon page. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.